0: so, Father God, we turn our eyes now to Jesus, and we do pray that you would speak to us about your Son, the greatest gift one could ever receive. So that in, Lord God, that I'm available to you, please use me to explain the person of Jesus. And that you, Lord God, because having been lifted up, would draw people to yourself. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in John chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out in John chapter 1 both this morning, uh, Christmas Eve morning, and Christmas Eve evening, to sound redundant. Uh, Let me also just say this. I forgot to mention it when we just talked about. ceasing our CD and DVD ministry. Uh, we have a lot of CDs and DVDs available that we would actually love to give away free, uh, and we're going to be look for those in the coming weeks on the table in the lobby. John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Uh, next Sunday, both morning and evening, will be at verses 14 through 18 of John chapter 1. So this is known as the prologue to the Gospel of John. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you would not call yourself a Christian. Uh, I would recommend uh, that your um, entry into the Bible would not start at Genesis, uh, because, again, you'll die a slow death in Leviticus, uh, but uh, that your entry into the Scriptures would begin with the Gospel of John. Uh, John is going to explain Jesus from the angle of his deity. That is, he's going to show you that Jesus is not just some uh, mere human teacher or some good person, but he's actually God. And he comes right out the gate talking about this. Pick me up in verse one. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're probably offended right off the bat. But John chapter one, verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man, verse 6, sent from God, whose name was John. I love this. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You've heard me say this again. The thing I love about that is in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that we shall be his witnesses, not his lawyers. So we don't need to feel like we need to argue anyone into the kingdom. We just got to take the witness stand. When you take a witness stand, all you do is you just say, here's what I've seen Here's, here's, what I've, uh, here's what I've experienced. You just have to testify and let God do the rest. You can't lawyer anyone into the kingdom, but you can testify and plant seeds. Verse 9, speaking of Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little boy really wanted a bicycle one day. He was nominally religious, so he had a concept of God. He knew that his best chances at getting this bicycle was to cut out the middle man, his parents, and to appeal directly to God. But this little boy's problem was he he was new to this whole thing called prayer, and he didn't actually know how to do it. So he decided to turn on the television one day to one of those religious stations and listen to a pastor pray. His thought was, if I can listen to this person pray, that'll give me some cues as it relates to how to appeal to God. Just so happens this one day, he, he tuned into this very traditional and reformed pastor, listened to him, him pray. When he got done, he turned off the television, got on his knees and said, Oh, Father God, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I appeal to your will that you would grant me this bike. I pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Two days later, still no bike. He was frustrated, and this time he decided to take a different approach. He turned the television on, but this time to a different religious station, one populated by uh, our charismatic friends, and he listened to this charismatic prosperity uh, preacher pray, and he took some cues here, thought it was interesting, turned off the television, got on his knees and prayed, God, in the name of Jesus, I declare right now my bike. I name it and claim it that it will be the color blue. I pray it in faith. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Two days later, still no bike. He's frustrated, so he's walking down the hallway there of his home, and he notices a little statuette of Mary. Mary. He gets this statuette of Mary, takes it in his room, gets on his knees and says, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mama again, you're going to give me this bike. (laughs) Oh, this, this little kid, cute, but he had some misinformation about Jesus. The truth of the matter is, it's not just this little kid who has some misinformation about Jesus. Most people, not just in the world, but even in the church, has some very errant views of Jesus. Uh, Many people in our world view Jesus as some fictitious character who is the figment of some antiquated author's imagination on the level of maybe tom sawyer or huckleberry finn where jesus christ is this fictitious mythical character that maybe you can draw some information and inspiration from but 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 he didn't actually exist many people in our world believe that other people subscribe to what i call a tweetable jesus Many of us in this room are on social media and uh, maybe you're on a social media platform like Twitter and Twitter for Twitter is wonderful, especially for introverts like myself. I can say something and not have to have a conversation. So wonderful. But 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 a lot of people have a tweetable view of Jesus where where Jesus says very inspiring things, very winsome things. But just like on Twitter, no one looks at a tweet and goes, you know what, I'm going to reorientate my life around that tweet. That's how many people approach and view Jesus. He's a person who said some very inspiring things, some very winsome things, some things that make you pause and go, hmm. But nothing that would really make me kind of um, remodel my life around. Many people in our world subscribe to kind of a tweetable Twitter kind of Jesus. Uh, Other people, and I see a lot of this in the church, they... Uh, they see Jesus as their administrative assistant that exists to facilitate their best life now. So they kind of view Jesus as, um, as a person they can submit a list of uh, requests, a honey-do list, and just get Jesus to check off the items on the list to help me really pull off my best life now. Jesus, I need you to fix my finances. Jesus, I need you to cure me of this uh, uh, illness. Uh, Jesus, I need you to calm my heart. Jesus, I need, you to, I need you to provide this job. There's nothing wrong with asking Jesus for things. Uh, b- but when your, um, when your supplications, when your requests uh, way outpace your praise of Jesus, you have an administrative assistant and not a CEO. Other people in our world... Um, They have fire insurance, Jesus. Where Jesus is their Savior, just not their Lord. Jesus, thank you for rescuing me from hell. Thank you for delivering me from some bad things. Jesus, I I thank you for these things. But as it relates to um, actually bending my will in every nook and cranny of my life under his lordship... So thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but I'm still going to be greedy. Thank you for saving me. I'm still going to shack up with my boyfriend. Thank you for saving me. I'm still going to gossip. We know Jesus is Savior. It's fire insurance, Jesus. We just don't really know him as Lord. Who was Jesus? This is the great question of life. Who was he? And what are the implications of that for my own life? If you read through the four authorized biographies on the life of Jesus, you will discover... That Jesus himself answers the question by saying, I'm not just a good man. I have not just come to give you fire insurance. I'm not ultimately your administrative assistant. I'm not even ultimately just your CEO. I am God. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good person. He is is God. He is Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. He is God. Now that backs us into a corner because as I shared with you last week, anyone who says they're God, you're left with a choice. You're you're at a fork in the road. Either they are who they say they are or excuse the Southern expression. I grew up in Atlanta or their cheese has slid off their cracker. But what you don't have the right to say is good man. Either he is who he said he was, or he's a mad person. C.S. Lewis buttresses this in his wonderful book, Mere Christianity. If all of C.S. Lewis' quotes, this is... Probably his most famous one. Look at it with me. C.S. Lewis says along these lines, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing Lewis says we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let's just have some intellectual integrity. If a person gets up and says they're God, either they are who they say they are or they're a mad person. You don't have the right with all intellectual integrity to say, oh, good guy. Good person. So we started a series last week called The Fingerprints of Jesus. What we said last week was during Advent season, we just uh, said we want to talk about the fingerprints of Jesus. Just like each of us have a unique set of ridges, so unique on our fingers, that no two sets of patterns are exactly the same. Uh, These fingerprints, therefore, are wildly significant in unlocking our physical identities. The Gospels provide us with the fingerprints of Jesus. They are wildly significant in unlocking the identity of Jesus Christ. Again, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe you're just starting out in the faith, start out in the Gospels. They're going to tell you who Jesus is. Our aim this series is to not only give you the identity of Jesus, but we want to inspire you as it relates to here's what it means to follow this man who says he was God. This morning, I I kind of want to submit to you another metaphor. Still under the rubric of the resume of Jesus, this morning I want to talk about, excuse me, under the rubric of the fingerprints of Jesus, this morning I want to talk about the resume of Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, gives us the resume of Jesus. Uh, Just about all of us in this room, we filled out a resume. We know what that is. A resume is something, it's a document that we put together that has essential information about us. It has such things as our unique experiences and skill sets and educational backgrounds. And we put this thing together in a short document all for one purpose. And that is to get into a relationship with a potential employer. John, in John chapters 1 through 18, gives us the resume of Jesus. He gives us essential information you need to know about Him, all for one purpose, and that is to get into a relationship with Him. He does not give us this information just to give us information, but He gives us this information about Jesus so that we would fall in love with Him, walk with Him, and worship Him, and submit to Him as Lord of our lives. So my prayer is, having walked through this today and next week, that if you're here and you don't know Christ, that you will be convinced that these things were true. There's three things about the resume of Jesus I want to walk you through this morning. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, John begins with the resume of Jesus by giving us Jesus' unique person, and that is, He is God. Listen to what he says. In the beginning, watch it now, was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, who is this Word? Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 deals with the incarnation, the idea of God taking on flesh, which is Jesus. He calls and refers to the incarnation as the word. So back up to John 1 verse 1. We understand that the word is a reference to Jesus. Now That's interesting. All week long I've been wrestling with this because I'm just asking the question, John, of everything you could have called Jesus, why did you call him The word you you could have called him God. You could have called him Jesus. Why did you call him the word? Literally in Greek, as John is writing, the Greek word for word simply means speech. So that John is fundamentally saying that Jesus, watch it now, is the speech of God. This is important. If you want to get to know a person's heart... Listen to them talk long enough. Jesus says out of the abundance of the person's heart, uh, 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 that a person speaks out of the abundance of their heart. So that if you want to know a person's heart, listen to their speech, which cracks me up because all the times we hear some famous person say something they shouldn't have said, and then they go, oh, that really wasn't me. Jesus would say, nah, it actually was you. You're just embarrassed that who you really are came out. So that our hearts and our speech are inextricably tied. What speech is to our hearts, John says, Jesus is to God. Jesus, John says, is the speech of God. Jesus is the strongest proof for the existence of God. Now, what is it about Jesus? He says three things about Jesus, the speech of God. Number one, he appeals to his eternality. He says that in the beginning was the word. Jesus was in the beginning before the beginning began to begin. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 58, Before Abraham was... I am. It is a clear reference to his eternality. Jesus is not just old. He is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. Secondly, he is equal to God. He says in the beginning was the word. Watch it now. And the word was with God. Jesus would say it this way. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Jesus and God are equal. Finally, John says that Jesus and God are of the same essence. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Write down John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus would say in John 10:30 I and the Father are one. We're the same. I and the Father are one. I know what you're sitting here thinking. You're going, okay, pastor, thanks for the information, but what does this have to do with how I live? When John says that Jesus is the speech of God, when John says in so many words that Jesus has the same attributes of God, that he is eternal uh, like God is, he's equal with God, he's of the same essence of God, what John is fundamentally saying, and this is so relevant to life here in the Bay in this thoroughly secular society, he is saying that Jesus and God are a packaged deal. You don't get the right to have one without the other. We live in a society, in a world that says, for the most part, I believe in God, I believe in a higher power, but I don't believe in Jesus. John says, no, no, no. Jesus and God are conjoined twins. They are a package deal. Growing up, my favorite foods were Happy Meals and Cracker Jacks. This is in my pre-calorie counting days. Cracker Jacks and Happy Meals. Now, I like these foods because as a kid, they both had the same fundamental things in common. They both gave you food and they both included a prize. But the thing I didn't like about Happy Meals, and I had to learn the hard way, is Happy Meals allowed you to edit out the prize, which my mama would do occasionally. We'd pull up at the drive-thru at McDonald's and my mom would say to the loudspeaker, yes, my son wants a Happy Meal, but he's got way too many prizes. Leave out the prize. Happy Meals would allow you to do that. Pray for me that it was cruel and unusual punishment. Happy Meals allowed you to leave out the prize. Cracker Jacks don't afford you that amenity. Cracker Jacks are a package deal. When you purchase a Cracker Jack, you get both the caramel popcorn and the prize in a sealed package. They don't allow you to customize. The problem with our world is our world takes a Happy Meal approach to God and Jesus. When John says, it ain't a Happy Meal, it's Cracker Jacks. They are a package deal. You cannot claim to really know God and reject his son Jesus at the same time. They come Together, The resume of Jesus, he begins by saying he is a unique person. He is God. But secondly, every single resume, we give a unique list of our experiences. Part of those experiences are our employment history. John lists this out in, in verse 3. Will you look at it with me? All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. John gives Jesus' employment history, and John wants us to understand that prior to the New Testament, Jesus was not standing in the unemployment line cashing in on an unemployment check. That Jesus was swiftly at work. What was he doing? He was involved, John says, in creation. This is a truth that the New Testament speaks to. For example, look at Colossians 1.16. Paul says of Jesus, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. First Corinthians eight six. Paul says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And in a stunning passage, the writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I love this. And he, speaking of Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. My, my, my. He says Jesus right now is upholding the universe. Science calls it gravity. The Bible calls it Jesus. Jesus is holding it together. The reason why earth hasn't flown out of its orbit is Jesus. The reason why earth hasn't imploded on itself. Jesus. The reason why the sun hasn't gone on a collision course with earth. Jesus. And I love this. The writer of Hebrews says it in such a a way to let us know that Jesus ain't even struggling. He's upholding it not by his arms, but by his word. If I can just come to your neighborhood and make this plain and practical, let me just give someone a piece of encouragement. If Jesus can hold the universe together, then he can hold you together. If Jesus can hold the earth together, he can hold you together. There is nothing that you will ever go through that the almighty Jesus cannot hold or fix. In fact, if you just look through the rearview mirror of 2017, you are still here to get today because Jesus is upholding you. So we should pray in faith. I think some of our prayer requests make Jesus laugh. Not that they're not significant, but we're straining over whether or not he can provide a car when he's upholding the universe. Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to a person who is simply who got up this morning and who said, son, stay in your place. He upholds all things. Now, here's the question. John, why are you making such a big deal of Jesus being the creator? Here's why. This is as technical as this sermon gets. Don't lose me. John is writing in the midst of a society that is being torn apart by a false philosophical worldview called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a worldview that says matter is evil, but spirit is good. Therefore, the Gnostic said, a holy God would never stoop so low as to create earth, because God would not allow himself To get down and dirty with such mundane matters as creating the earth. John says to the Gnostics in so many words, the Jesus we serve ain't nothing too dirty for him. He specializes in getting down and dirty. He specializes in dealing with things that people would say a holy God would never deal with. He comes down and walks with, and talks with, and does life with those whom society would pass by. That's the Jesus we serve. True story. In 1964, a woman by the name of Kitty Genovese was coming home to her New York City apartment. It was late at night. Here she is standing in the courtyard, fumbling in her purse, trying to get in, when all of a sudden, from out of the shadows, comes a man. He starts to assault her. He begins to stab her. As she's getting stabbed, Kitty Genovese would begin to scream, he's stabbing me, he's stabbing me, he's stabbing me. All of a sudden, those living in the apartment complex, the high rises overlooking the courtyard, begin to open up their blinds and their curtains, turn on their lights and look down on Kitty Genovese as she is yelling, he's stabbing me, he's stabbing me but no one came down to help her. Why didn't they come down? Because they didn't want to take the risk. Why didn't they want to come down and help her? Because they didn't want to be vulnerable. Why didn't they come down to help her? Because they knew if they came down, it could cost them their lives. When some sense, all of us were Kitty Genovese, living in this world, hopeless, headed for an eternity in hell. And in our own way, we scream, but God heard our screams. And Jesus, who was sitting at the penthouse suite of the universe, he didn't just stay up there in comfort. He heard our cries and came down. And when he came down, he willingly was murdered on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. That is the Jesus we serve. There is nothing nothing too dirty for him friends if you're here today i don't know where you may be in your given walk of life i don't know what it is that may be on your sin resume but there is no sin stain so deep enough that the blood of jesus cannot remove the blood of jesus washes away all of our sins that's the god we serve as we round third and head for home he gives us another thing on the resume The resume of Jesus Christ, like any other resume, we would normally list out our skills. Those unique things we bring to the table that will hopefully match the need of our potential employer. John says that Jesus Christ on his resume has something that is all of our deepest need. It is something that he mentions in verse 4. Will you look at it with me? In him, speaking of Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Technically, there's two things on his resume. I only have time to get to one of them. It is life and light. But let me just deal with life. Why should I get into a relationship with Jesus? Because on his resume is life. Jesus gives life. But if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't know Jesus Christ, but that's not convincing because actually right now I have life. The very fact that I'm inhaling and exhaling, Pastor Brian, is a sign that I have life. Oh, Jesus isn't here to just give you uh, inhaling and exhaling. In fact, the Greek word that John uses is not the word bios. Bios was a Greek word that was used from which we get that English word biography or biology. Bios was used to speak of inhaling and exhaling. That is not the word John uses. Instead, the word John uses is is a word that speaks of life on a much deeper level. It it speaks of a life that is beyond mere breathing, inhaling and exhaling. Speaks of a life way down deep on a qualitative level. The problem with our world today is that we have too many people just breathing but not really living. John doesn't use the word bios. He uses the word zoe. Too many people in our world today have bios. They don't really have zoe. Zoe speaks of a life that is rich with meaning and power and significance. It speaks of a life that that is content at the deepest levels. Some of you are here today, and you would say, I wouldn't know Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're new to the faith, and and you're here today, and you're going, i got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm here today at church because I've got bios. I don't have Zoe. Maybe you're making a killing, and you've got a lot of money. Maybe you thought before you made the money, if I could just make X amount of dollars, I'm good. And you've made X amount of dollars, and you've had to painfully confess, I'm not good. Maybe someone else is here today and and you said, man, if I could just get married, that spouse will give me Zoe. They will truly scratch me where my soul itches. And maybe you found out on the honeymoon. That ain't the case. There's only one person who can satisfy and it ain't Snickers. The only one who can really satisfy is Jesus. Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century philosopher. He said, all of us are born with a God-sized hole in our souls that only God can fulfill. And it is his Zoe. 1969, a woman named Peggy Lee wrote a song called, Is That All? In this song, she talks about being a 12-year-old girl going to to the circus, and she is so excited to go to the circus. It's been a lifelong dream. Here she is, 12 years old. She's so excited. But then the circus ends, and she sings, Is That All? Later on in life, she finally falls in love in this song. She's so enraptured and enveloped by the euphoria of falling in love, only to see those feelings dissipate. And in this song, she croons, Is That All? Then these words make up the chorus, Is That All There Is? Is that all there is? Is that all there is, my friends? Then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. What a sad song. Peggy Lee is confessing a truth we all know. This life cannot satisfy. Only Jesus can. It was Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. It was Jesus said, who said in John 10, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus doesn't just want us to exist. He wants us to live. And what he offers is so much more than a Tesla. What he offers cannot ultimately be found outside of him, but only in him eternal life. Mel Blanc, that great voice of Looney Tunes, when he died, true story, he gave these instructions, etch for my epitaph on my tombstone, these words. That's all, folks. Philip Yancey's good friend, his grandmother, a Jesus-loving woman, when she died, she left these instructions, this Jesus-loving woman, to be etched on her tombstone, Waiting. If you're in Christ, it's never, that's all, folks. But if you are in Christ, you not only have a qualitative kind of life that's better than anything this life can answer, but you also have a quantitative kind of life that will keep going forever and ever and ever. It's found in Jesus Christ. As we end, you would think that this resume of Jesus would be compelling. You would think that Jesus, who was God, who created the universe, who came to offer life, that people would be beating down his door to get that kind of life. But John, as we end, shocks us. This is not the case. He says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected, as Isaiah would say chastised and despised we esteemed him not his own rejected him why because he didn't fit the bill of what they think a messiah would be see the jews thought a messiah would come and would rally an army together and take down rome and that's not what jesus did in fact jesus says my kingdom is not of this world Jesus actually said, I want you to love your enemies and turn the other cheek and and pray for your enemies. I actually want you to pay taxes. So they rejected him. They didn't recognize him. In February of 2007, a man stepped off of a Washington, D.C. train. Right there in the midst of the train station, he took out his violin, laid open his violin case, a clear sign that he was soliciting for tips. And for the next 43 minutes started playing the most beautiful music you ever heard in your life. Over 1,100 people passed by him in 43 minutes. Not one person stopped to listen. Not one person dropped a dime in that violin case. This is amazing because that man's name was Joshua Bell. Some of you know that name, Joshua Bell. He is a violin virtuoso who just the night before had played to a packed out audience where the cheapest ticket was $100. But here he is on this day in this train station, jeans with holes, a frumpled up t-shirt, cap pulled down over his head, playing the most beautiful music on a violin that's a Stradivarius that cost him $3.5 million. And no one stops. Why? Two reasons, they didn't recognize him, and they were too consumed with their own lives. That's Jesus. For 33 years, he stood among us, took on flesh. God, in very humanity, walked among us. He performed miracles. He preached sermons. He garnered crowds, but those crowds were fickle. They they praised him one day and then said, crucify him, crucify him the next day. They sent him to an early grave in a borrowed tomb because they didn't know what was standing in their midst. The great tragedy of so many of you sitting here today is you will, just like people in that train station that day, will bypass a clear Jesus who has been clearly presented to you. Here he is standing before you, no longer in that borrowed tomb. For three days later, as my Baptist friends would say, early Sunday morning, he got up from his grave with not some power, but all power in his hands. And the great question of life is, what will you do with Jesus? What are you going to do? Are you going to go to Stanford Mall and spend money on a toy that six months from now, your kid will just discard Will you put your identity in a zip code? Will you submit and surrender to your, your life to the person who says, I am God. I am eternal. I am equal with God. I am of essence with God. I created this universe. I came down for you. Will you go the way of the Jews in which Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not? In just a few moments, I want to call you. And someone needs to give their life to Christ. Someone else is here today. And you've got Jesus as an administrative assistant or a fire insurance policy. Jesus did not endure the rigors of the cross to be your administrative assistant. He wants to be your CEO. He wants to call the shots. And today, maybe as a believer, you need to say, I want to submit the totality of who I am. To his lordship. Let's pray. Father, I've done my best this morning to lift up Christ. And to unpack the glories and beauties of who he is. Jesus, we just pause right now and we say thank you. That you, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. You are holding us together right now. And we thank you for that. And we confess there is nothing too hard for you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you save souls today? You, the one who upholds all things by the word of your power, would you draw sinners to yourself today? For those who do know you but have not submitted to your lordship, will they submit? And would you add to your church today in the name of Jesus. Amen.